Your finances will leave a long-lasting impact on your family. After all, you only retire once. If you're looking to discuss all things pertaining to your retirement, you've come to the right place. This is Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart. It's time for another edition of Retirement Matters Podcast with Michael Stewart, founder at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. He's got an office in Crystal Lake, and of course you can find him online at crystallaketax.com. That is crystallaketax.com. They're a one-stop shop with a CPA, and enrolled agent, paralegal, all on staff, and can help when it comes to all things financial and any retirement matters, uh, which is where we get the name of the show from. And so while you're on the website, crystallaketax.com, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and uh, you can do that on Google or uh, Apple or whatever platform your choice is. If you hear any useful information on here, you'd like to talk more about it, as always, before you take action, check with a qualified professional like Mike. You can give him a call at 815-526-3092. That's 815-526-3092. Michael, my friend, how are you this week? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Hope things have been going well uh, and things have stayed. Uh, we talked last week about all the market volatility. Obviously, it's continues to go on, but uh, hopefully things have been somewhat calm at the office. Uh, always is. A uh, key thing is just making sure clients have a plan and we stick with the plan. There you go. Absolutely. Well, let's change it up a little bit this week so we're not beating the same drum over and over and get into our program for this week. I, I wanted to ask you, though, um, about uh, do you do any streaming services at home when you're watching you know, TV now? More and more people are doing this. They've, they're kind of switching off of cable and, and doing Netflix or Hulu or Disney's got a new one coming. Uh, as a matter of fact, we do. So yeah. we've got Netflix and Hulu and yeah, everybody Amazon seems to. Right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Every yep, all those things. I've got you know three semi-adult kids at, at home. You know, getting ready to go back to college. Oh so yeah, and they love this stuff. Of yeah. course. Yep, we've got every one of those things. Yeah. Well, Netflix's stock soared uh, up eighty-five hundred percent over the last decade. Now, I'm not talking about recent activity, but just over the last decade, eighty-five hundred. Percent. That's pretty uh, pretty impressive. Now, a lot of other competitors now are getting in the streaming game. As I just mentioned, Disney is, is launching theirs, I believe, later this year in 2019. We're in August as we're taping this uh, podcast. So, you know, should we approach investing in an industry like this that's constantly changing all the time? Is this kind of almost like doing the speculative thing, the Bitcoin thing? What, what's your take on stuff like this? Yeah, I think I'll give kind of a broader perspective rather than kind of a direct uh, okay. part. And I think this will be a great lesson for a lot of individuals about how you should really think about your portfolios today and going forward. So, you know, Netflix has been one of the best performers over the last 10 years, right up there with Google and Amazon and some and some of the others, you know, and actually it's exceeded some of those. And, you know, and, and it's a great service. And, we, you know, we talked about the benefits and there's other competitors that are rolling out. I would look at it from a broader perspective of there's always going to be disruption in the markets. So, and, you know, so there's always going to be a new competitor. Think about Uber, you know, with taxi cabs and, you know, you can go down any different service and right. look at that. What I would look at it is really how you position your money. So when it comes less about the income type investor, let's say you're going to have, you're going to buy individual stocks, you know, or you're going to get some theme that you're going to try to ride with to make money. You know, there was, there was an article out that came out and it took a look at the top 10 companies in the S&P 500 over the course of the last 20 years. So it took a snapshot and said, you know, 
know it, in early 2001, these were the top 10, you know, the 10 largest companies in the S&P 500. You know, and it was GE and Cisco and Exxon and Pfizer and Microsoft and Walmart and Citigroup and Vodafone and Intel and, you know, Royal Dutch Shell, you know, which is Shell. And you're like, oh, hey, those are all great. Those are all great companies. I still know those names, you know, 20 years later. And then they said, okay, let's take 10 years later down the road. So then in early 2011, there were only two of those companies, two of those 10 companies, Apple and Microsoft that actually made it, stayed in the top 10. And if you go back to early this year, early in uh, 2019, only Apple and Microsoft actually are still in that top 10. The others are Amazon, Alphabet, which is Google, Berkshire Hathaway, Facebook, Tencent, Alibaba, Johnson & Johnson, JP Morgan. So the thing is, as much as we like to think that you know today's thesis and what happened in the past is what's going to happen in the future. All different industries are getting disrupted. If you go back to that original list from almost 20 years ago, it was phone companies, energy companies, you know, manufacturer like GE, you know, which whose stock prices, you know, down to about 10 bucks or so right now from 30 plus, you know, just a year or two ago, is you take a look at it, things change over time. So your investment portfolio can't be worried about what's worked in the past, like Netflix is an example. But where is the industry going? Where is the market going? Where is the next opportunity going to be? So it doesn't mean that you don't want to still own, you know, the S&P 500 index if you're going to be in the in the market, have a nice broad-based diversification. But it means if you're going to start dabbling with individual stocks, you're either going to buy them because you like the dividends and they're financially stable. But if you're buying them for opportunity, like many people in the past had for Netflix, you can't worry about where Netflix was. Much to your point is you've got to start looking at who are the new entrants to the market? Do they have a competitive advantage now? You know, So that's the way that you would take a look at that on approaching that industry is saying, okay, where is it going? Who are the new competitors that maybe are a little bit more nimble that have an opportunity to get those outside gains for you on a go-forward basis? All right. Well, there you go. That's our In the News topic here on the program. This is Retirement Matters. So let's turn our attention. Let's just stick with the TV theme here, Michael, as we turn our attention to our main topic topic this week. Did you ever watch uh, Mythbusters? Great show on Discovery. I did. Yeah, yeah it always is. Yeah, a lot of fun on that. So what I thought we would do is, and if a lot of folks probably have seen it, these guys would uh, take all kinds of different myths out there and uh, scientifically and various different things and have a lot of fun, you know, busting them or saying, oh, that's plausible or whatever the case is. So I thought we could have some fun and maybe bust some, potentially bust some financial myths and walk through a few of these. So I'll just give you a couple and you let us know if, you know, if you think it's a myth or what you think about it and kind of give us your take on it. Um, so with the volatility, with the drop in the interest rate, we just talked about on our last podcast, um, on the prior one, a lot of times people will say, well, that's when you should, you know, you should definitely be shifting from stocks to bonds. Uh, and that removes that volatility. What do you think is that? Is that a myth? Is What, what, do, you, what do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think with a combination of whether, you know, how much you should have in stocks or bonds or annuities or whatever different financial vehicle, you know, they're all just vehicles at the end of the day. There's no bad investments, right. only investments maybe that aren't appropriate for the stage of life that you're in or what you're trying to accomplish. So so an example would be bonds serve a great purpose to stabilize your portfolio in, when markets are declining, as long as you have good credit quality. And they also provide maybe a three to 5% income stream, you know, so that you get some income off of it and you get a little bit of with diversification you get a little support in a down market that makes you feel a little more comfortable for being in the markets, especially in times like these. Now, stocks or you know, just being in the market in general serve a purpose as well. And that's to provide growth that over the long term is going to exceed inflation, which is the cost of living over the long term. So, you know, you don't know on any given day or any given year the returns that you get, but typically over three, five, ten years, you have a pretty good understanding that you should probably average give or take about 
5% on the equity side. So what's the trade-off? Well, stocks are more volatile. Now, if you need income, then you go with more bonds and bond-like instruments. If you need long-term growth and you can stomach those declines, then you add more stocks. So for, so for most, it's some combination of those two. You know, it's that whole art and science thing. And, and, and the art is that, you know, is that you figure out how much you're willing to stick with. The science of it is that you solve for income first, set aside the resources that are going to generate the income you need in retirement. And then only after you've solved the income puzzle, then you go over and say, okay, yeah, my income's covered for the next three to five years whatever's left over, that's where we can enter the market for longer term growth because we know we don't need it specifically to pay you know, our monthly bills. We've got monthly income coming in. So if the market tanks over the course of the next year, it's okay. I can hold on to my good diversified portfolio because I understand that my income's not going to be impacted. Whereas if you're overweight in stocks and the market tanks, Either you've got to live on a reduction in income because the value of them's down, or you're going to start blowing through principal. And, you know, that's the last thing that you want to do. So that shift from stocks to bonds about removing volatility, for us, it has a little bit less to do with volatility and more to do with set aside the resources and the right products that are going to generate the income you need, and then position another bucket out there for longer-term growth that's not going to impact your current income needs. All right. Well, that's the first myth there we're going to talk about. How about this one, Mike? Uh, Once you retire, life insurance is no longer necessary. Yeah, we, we see this individuals come in the office all, all the time. So, you know, whether they're 55, 65, 75, or even 80, uh, some people come in overinsured. I met with a, a gentleman who was 58. He's got about a million and a half dollars saved up, no debts or anything. He's on a second marriage, has adult kids, and he's got several million dollars of life insurance. And we, you know, I sat down with him and I said, okay, so you've, you're going to have a big pension in a few years when you retire. Your social security is going to be solid. You've got all these assets between your 401k, no debts, homes paid off, a second home, all these things. So what's the purpose of having millions of dollars of insurance? And he said, I don't know. I've, I've always had it. I've had it for like the last 20 years because he used to have a big mortgage. He used to have kids that you know were young and needed to go to college. He wanted to make sure for his first and then second wife that you know there was enough uh, principal that would be there, a lump sum, to make up for the income that he would no longer uh, be bringing in in the event something were to happen to him. But what we talked about is that you're no longer in that position anymore. So the insurance doesn't serve the same purpose. Now, on the flip side, individuals come in underinsured all the time as well. We'll talk to a 60-year-old that still has a $250,000 mortgage, and all they have is $50,000 of insurance at work, and they're the primary breadwinner between a husband and a wife. And, you know, maybe they haven't done a great job necessarily of saving, or at least enough. And I'll say, well, God forbid something were to happen to you. How is your wife in this instance going to be able to stay in the home. There's not enough resources. There's not enough savings. And, you know, there's still this big debt on the property. You know, how is she going to be able to cash flow to make that happen? And she still can't even take Social Security for a few more years as a survivor benefit. So, you know, individuals will come in, some overinsured, some underinsured. The one question I ask everybody who has life insurance, or even if they don't, is, what's the purpose of the insurance? Is it to pay off debt obligations? Is it to create an income stream to replace your income? Is it because you want to leave a specific amount to the kids independent of what you actually, your savings, what happens to your savings in retirement? So, you know, when when you're retired, is life insurance necessary as a myth? Depends. Depends on your situation. All right. Well, we're talking financial myths here, playing little myth busters, if you will, on the program. I got a couple more here I think we can squeeze in. Uh, what about the typical saying of you need less income when you're retired than when you're working? What 
was it like 85% a lot of times you'll hear? Uh, yeah, you know, and that's partly true. And, and so it's a function of kind of where you are, how you enter retirement. So I have some clients that I have a couple million dollars with us and they live on $50,000 a year. You know, they just live on their social security and pick a little bit off of some of their uh, investment accounts on an as-needed basis. I have some clients that have significant assets, but they get they live on a six-figure income, but they need that six-figure income. And they're drawing on their retirement investments because they came into retirement with two luxury car payments, a big mortgage, a second mortgage on a vacation house, a timeshare. You know, so from a cash flow standpoint, they needed just as much income as when they were working because they've got all these debts and obligations, you know, and, you know, we can talk about the good and bad about that on a, on a different podcast. But really what you, what you do is you take a look at, you know, think about when do you spend the most money? So the conversation I have with clients about how much income they're going to need in retirement. A lot of people say, oh, no, you know, I only need half as much or 80% as much. And what I tell them is, Early on, you have what you call your go-go years, maybe your first 10 or 12 years of retirement. This doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're retiring in your early 60s or you're at 70 or whatever it happens to be. Essentially, this is when you're going to have the best health, the most time, and when you're going to be most active. So what I ask him is, I'm like, what day of the week, you know, while you're working right now, what day of the week do you spend the most money? And, you know, when you go shopping, when you go golfing, you know, uh, when do you get your hair done, all those kind of things. And the response is always, well, usually Saturday, you know, and I said, okay, but in retirement, every day is Saturday. All of a sudden you find more things to do to go fix up some things because you got more time on your hands. You go out, you know, I'm, I'm going to meet the, the, my buddies or the girls for lunch and lunch turn, turns into cocktails, which then turns into dinner. And what you thought was going to be a $20 lunch is a $300 outing. <laughs> so it's just one of the things where you're spending more time with the grandkids, you know, so now all of a sudden you're buying more things and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But one of the things to realize is in retirement, for the most part, the early years, you're going to probably need just as much income in retirement in the early years as you are when you were working. And that's because idle hands, you've got more time on your hands to do things. So you're going to kind of nickel and dime yourself a little bit. And that's great because that's what you've worked your whole life for. But at the same time, you've got to have a retirement income plan in place that says, okay, from the day I retire, I know exactly how much income I'm going to get. You know, my paychecks, my paychecks, I know exactly how much income I'm going to have coming in. And that's independent of what the market's doing. Well, you know, this one, I think we hear this one all the time. And now with the current tax laws, I don't know how you feel about this one, but the, the myth or the saying that you will probably be in a lower tax bracket once you retire is how is that? How do you view that? Yeah, there's a few things associated with that, too. You know, currently we're at near historically low tax rates and they're going to stay that way for about another five or six years. But in 2025, all of a sudden, the tax rates, these recent tax cuts we got on the individual side, they expire. And when you take a look at the underfunded entitlements of both Social Security, Medicare, the pension crisis, it's underfunded. Taxes have to go up. It's just a fact. We can't keep kicking this can down the road as much as Congress keeps trying. So if taxes have to go up, where do you think they're going to get this money? from? Are they going to get it from the 20% of us that have money? Like the retirees have done a great job savings in their 401k and in the bank over the years or, you know, worked hard to pay off their mortgage? Or are they going to get it from the 80% of people who, you know, reports go out and show that there's over 65% of citizens in the U.S. that if there was, Fidelity just released a survey on this, that if there was a $1,000 emergency, they wouldn't have access to the $1,000. So where is the government going to get this money? They're going to get it from people that have money, the people that have done all the right things. So what you've got to do in the consideration of taxes is have an understanding that they are going to go up over time. 
So even if your income might go down, your taxes may not. You know, that's why we're trying to do when it's appropriate, we're trying to do some proactive tax planning with some clients now to get from that kind of taxed forever bucket in their 401ks and their traditional IRAs to pay a little bit of tax at these historically low rates now to gradually over the next few years so we can take advantage of these low rates, get it from that taxed forever bucket into kind of a tax never or tax free bucket. You know, and there's whole different strategies we can use on that, but you know, you got to take advantage of the fact that taxes are on sale right now and you have no idea where they're going, but there's a great indication that they're going up. All right. Well, we're playing financial mythbusters, if you will. And we have one more myth to talk about uh, before we wrap up today. And that is uh, with all the technology, Mike, that's available now, things are just, you know, everything you can, there's automation, all sorts of things out there. Financial planning is much easier to do without professional help. Uh, yeah, you know, it's easy to get kind of drawn into robo-advisors and all the online tools and those kind of things, you know, and, and it's great. It's been great the last 20 years for clients because the cost, you know, whether it's advisory fees or mutual fund costs or, you know, stock commissions and all that have come down with automation. The one thing that hasn't changed is the need for good financial planning advice and appropriate planning because we're, we're not getting that in the schools. High schools don't teach about managing your money, whether it's investment or credit or anything else. And that's why you know, a lot of things become disastrous when people become young adults and get out on their own. Colleges don't even teach that. So one of the things that we try to have individuals and have the conversation is, you know what, with Google, you could Google brain surgery and you buy a bone saw and you could try and do that yourself <laughs> if you wanted to, right? But you wouldn't do that with your physical health. But so many people are trying to do that with their financial health. And the reality is, if you look back at all of the research that's been done over the last 40 years, it's been said that about 90% of an investor's return. So it, it doesn't come from, you know, did I have 20% in stocks and 80% in bonds or 90% in stocks and 10% in bonds? It comes from your behavior. It comes from the decisions that you make as an investor, either on your own or with guidance. And that's the thing that technology can't do. Then what happens is the market sells off 6, 10, 15, you know, let's go to back to the fourth quarter of 2018. The market's down almost 20% and people on their own, you know, left of their own devices are selling out. Okay, but two things. One, do we honestly think if you take a look at the S&P 500, the 500 largest companies in the U.S. that are global, do we honestly think that in a span of 90 days, they're actually 20, worth 20% less, that their businesses are 20% worse than they were just 90 days ago? No, but it feels bad. That's why people want out because ripping that Band-Aid off and hit and sell at the market lows sounds great. But the reality is that a traditional bear market typically goes down about 30%. So if you're already 20% there, why would you possibly be looking for a door at that point? You know, ideally, you position it so you're not participating in a 20% decline or, or more. But just as importantly, the thing that a robo-advisor or technology isn't going to do is hold your hand through that process and say, you know what, at the beginning, let's take the amount of risk that we need, not any more, not any less, but then at the same time, when things get a little hairy, you know, the markets start falling apart a little bit, you can point to the plan and how you're on track to achieve all the things that you wanted to do in retirement and otherwise, and have the retirement income that you want. And on the flip side, when things are gangbusters like they have for the past 10 years, you also have that voice of reason that towards the end of a late market cycle like we're in right now can also say, you know what, it's time to take some chips off the table. We're not saying the market won't continue to go up. Sure, it might. But the reality is for you, there's more risk in the downside from here 
than there is in the upside. It's kind of like going to a casino. You know, you belly up at the casino and you, you know, oh, yeah, let's play this game. And since we're so late in the business cycle that all of a sudden, if you win, you win 10 bucks. But if you lose, you lose 40. And that's kind of where we are from a market perspective right now. And those are the things that technology and all that can't help you with. It's just be that voice of reason and kind of point you to your goals along the way. That's where financial planning, true financial planning is all about. Yeah, I think there's always going to be places where technology helps. Automation can help with different industries. But I think there's always going to be a need for several industries out there to just still have that human interaction, that human connection. So I agree with you on that. So with that, I think it's been a great podcast. I think we'll close out here with our financial mythbusters and say, look, if you have some questions, again, if you have some concerns, uh, if there's some of these myths that you think that uh, you've heard or that you think maybe you're falling into or you want to get more information, reach out to Michael and the team at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial at 815-526-3092. That's the number to call, 815-526-3092. He's a registered financial consultant. And again, you can check him out online at crystallaketax.com. That is Crystal Lake Tax. While you're there, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform of choice you'd like. And don't forget, they are a one-stop shop with a CPA, an enrolled agent, and a paralegal all on staff and can help with all things financial in any retirement matters. And Mike, thanks for your time this week. I look forward to talking to you soon. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure, Mark. We'll see you next time, folks, here on the podcast, Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. Don't forget to subscribe to us, and we'll see you next time. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. The information provided herein is for training or educational purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities, investments, investment strategies, or investment advice relating to securities, nor is the information or representation that any security is a suitable or appropriate investment for any person. Before acting on any advice, you should consider the appropriateness of the advice having regard to your own objectives, financial situation and needs. Please contact us to obtain our disclosure brochure relating to the services offered by Sound Income Strategies, LLC, and consider its contents before making any decisions. Where quoted, past performance is not indicative of future performance. Sound Income Strategies, LLC does not represent or warrant that the contents of this program are suitable for you from a compliance, regulatory, legal, or any other perspective. We shall have no responsibility for your use or non-use of the program or any portion thereof. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies, LLC are not associated entities.